Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. This is a mini episode and it's about families. Just a few more thoughts from Tim, actually stories about families. Today I'd like to tell the story of two people that I know. I know them from school. Um, One of them is out of school now and the other girl is a senior in high school. And uh, just to preserve their anonymity, I'm going to call them Jack and Maggie. Jack and Maggie are so ideal that somebody else that I interviewed, Mike Concilio, who's an excellent teacher and an excellent person in real estate, he basically said to me the other day, word for word, I wish when my kids were older, I could just give them to the parents of Mac, or excuse me, Jack and Maggie and have them raise my kids because they're just so good. They're just so absolutely good. And it's amazingly true. And what's really astonishing about these kids, this boy and this girl, this young man, this young woman, is that they are opposites in many regards. And yet, you can, of course, tell that they are still brother and sister. Jack never really liked school. He wasn't rude about it or anything like that, but it was really kind of easy for him to fall behind in school. And I had him in a class or two, and I have him in a special thing called house, which is kind of like a homeroom, except we do activities. We do service projects, we do fun and games, we do faith life, we do bonding experiences. The idea is that kids will have a teacher who will be with them for four straight years and who will help them with anything that they need help with, that we would not exactly be a mentor, but maybe something kind of like a mentor. Well, so Jack was just this wonderful kid, and the thing that he kind of fell into by accident was he was mowing his lawn, I think when he was 13 or 14, and his neighbor said, hey, you seem like you're doing a good job. When you mow my lawn, I will pay you. And so he mowed the neighbor's lawn. And then that kind of led to a referral. So pretty soon he was mowing, I think, two or three lawns. Then he decided, hey, I'm going to put an ad up on one of the social media sites locally So he did that, and then overnight, this 14-year-old boy had 10 lawns that he was mowing, and he was making very good money for a 14-year-old, and he liked it. He was outside, he was moving his body, he was helping other people. He really, really liked it. One thing kind of led to the next, and by the time he was a senior in high school, and I think the summer beyond, he had 42 lawns that he was mowing. Not only that, it morphed into, it expanded into other jobs. This kid was aerating. One day he made a profit of $870 aerating people's lawns. He rented a piece of equipment for $330 and then he aerated enough lawns that the profit margin, not the gross, but the net was $870. A little bit after that, or actually around that time, he also started doing mulch. Mulch was one of those things that also could pay $500 for maybe two or three or four hours worth of work um, because people want it done, but they don't want to do it themselves. He also got into raking leaves. Uh, He started shoveling snow. He started working for somebody else who would have snow get shoveled. Uh, He sort of toyed around with fixing small motors. During all this time, he was also buying and selling, buying and selling large pieces of equipment. So he would sell one lawnmower and then replace it with a different lawnmower, kind of going back and forth with people on Craigslist and a few other sites. And, you know, at this point, I asked him how many pieces of equipment he owns because he's 20. And I want to say it's somewhere between five and eight. So, you know, he's got an aerator, he's got 
lawnmowers. He's got other things. And now at the age of 20, last year, he had 65 lawns and he was making $40,000. And he's gotten really good at everything you can think of at the mechanical aspect, like, oh, something's broken. I, I need to fix it. Uh, he's pretty good at that. Uh, hauling heavy pieces of equipment places, um, you know, asking if he can borrow, say, a trailer and then eventually like buying his own trailer. Uh, this is a very, very hardworking kid. And, you know, I hesitate to say ambitious because if you met him, you wouldn't think terribly ambitious. Like you wouldn't think like just compulsive drive to get things done. But really, I just kind of feel like he's doing something that he likes to do. And so his, his parents want him to finish up his associate's degree at the community college. And so that's what he's doing. But I asked him, if God came down and gave you permission to completely drop out of school, what would you do? And he said, drop out of school. He's very concise. That's another thing. But when it comes to dealing with the customers, he's got some really good philosophies. One is just always keep the customer happy. Always ask the customer, maybe about once a month or so, if you mow their lawn four times in a month, ask them once a month, is everything good? Are you happy? And then change things on that basis. If the customer is happy, great. If the customer wants something else done, then do that extra thing. But he keeps the lines of communication completely open. Um, and now his, his next thing is, is that he's got a mentor, a 60-year-old entrepreneur who's done all kinds of wonderful things in his life. And this entrepreneur has taken Jack here under his wing. And so who really knows what's going to happen? For the lawn business to expand at this point, Jack would need to be out of school. Then he projects he can mow 100 lawns a week. And then the other thing is, is hiring. He probably needs to actually start hiring people. I know two people here where I live who started lawn mowing businesses, and one of them is making a million dollars a year now doing this because he's hired all kinds of people and expanded into other lawn services. Um, and then the other one is a local man who has a humongous business. His name is Larry Ryan, and he has Ryan Lawn and Tree. And he went from 39, laid off, um, not knowing what to do, mowing his neighbor's lawn to, in his upper 60s now, um, netting, or excuse me, grossing, something like, uh, it could be somewhere between 16 and $32 million a year at this point. I don't know because I haven't spoken with him in several years, but... The thing that just really kind of amazes me, I've sort of strayed into personal finance here and away from kids, is just that you can start with something very simple. I've seen people do lawn mowing and I've seen people do babysitting where it just expands. I know Jack, who has this lawn business, which from age 14 to 20 has expanded up to 60 some lawns and $40,000 a year. And I know a babysitter who turned into a nanny and at the age of 17, was making $22,000 in a year between babysitting, nannying, and other jobs that just kind of took over from there. So he's just a great kid. And, and I'm going to get into some of his great traits in a little bit, but just keep in mind that he is shy and he is hardworking. And school was just always kind of like torture for him. I just think he was bored. Um, he likes things to be practical. Something that might come into use 10 years from now is not so much for him. Um, I guess he's gotten into podcasts, listening to 
those as he works, but he was never really one who enjoyed, I think, just watching a TV show or reading a book or just not doing too much. Now, his sister, Maggie, not a real name, she is about 18, and at school, she just couldn't be more opposite. Uh, she's a great student. She works very hard. She makes A's in all of her classes. She is a leader. She keeps finding herself in leadership positions. That started when she was a little girl. I asked her about that, and even at about the age of five, uh, she was kind of directing other people, uh, hopefully not in a bossy way. It's kind of hard to feature being bossy because she's so sweet and she's so kind. But even as a five-year-old, I mean, she was organizing her friends to get some playing, some serious playing done. So that was just really kind of neat about her. And then just ever since, she's been elected to some top positions at our school. She's very outgoing. She's super social. She's amazingly generous. And, and I asked her, what are some of your secrets to leadership? And she said, well, you know, really, organization, you have to be personally pretty organized, and then communication. But then you also have to back up and realize you have to have something to communicate. You have to have something that you want people to do. So you have to have some goal setting. So you have to have, even before goal setting, a dream, a dream of like where you want things to go. So first you need a dream, then you need goals, then you need organization, then you need communication with people. And then when it comes to people, you have to treat as many people as possible as individuals with love. You are not organizing a nameless, faceless mass of people. You are organizing individuals and they need to benefit from what you're doing. And if they do, then they will probably be willing to make a contribution. So it just winds up being a win-win for everybody involved. Well, their parents just are amazing people, are just absolutely amazing people. And these are just some of the traits that I think they raise them both with. And it's just funny to me because these kids are so opposite. One is shy. One is super social. One really, really never liked school. He tried, but it was just hard for him to make himself do it. And the other one, the girl, just, just ate it up, just did such a great job with it. But here are some of the traits that their parents raised them with. They are both just as honest as can be. They will be direct with you in a super polite, diplomatic way. They're just 100% honest and yet also 100% diplomatic. That's an amazing feat. They have integrity, by which I mean responsibility. They do what they say they're going to do. They have kindness, and kindness can be tough for people because, of course, everybody gets angry, but they are just kind they're, they both have toughness. I think toughness is an underrated virtue, but let's just call it toughness or resilience. I just think it's wonderful that they have this. They have courage because they're willing to speak to people to get things done. Um, the boy, Jack, was very shy, but he can always speak to the customers about getting jobs and doing what they need. And if he didn't have this courage, he wouldn't have 65-ish customers. Finally, there's just a lot to be said in terms of how much love they have. And love, I think, does what's in the best interest of the other person. Love is a verb. It's not just a feeling. It's an action. They both just demonstrate love. And so you also kind of see some very, very good practical things. They both do budgets for themselves, and they both are already investing 
and they also are making plans for their future. Now their plans are flexible and they're in flux because after all they're young, they don't know exactly what they want to do, but they, they are thinking things through anytime you talk with them. You can really kind of see that they are trying out this idea, trying out that idea, talking to this person who's done it, talking to that person who's done it. They are definitely not drifting through life. They are being intentional. They are really talking about things. So just a few last thoughts on this. Um, I'm teaching psychology right now, and I'm just so aware of all of the uh, people who go into psychology because they don't understand other people. That was kind of a cliche when I was in college. People would say the psych majors are the people who went into that because they absolutely don't understand people. Well, I didn't major in psych, but I definitely don't understand people anywhere near as much as I would like to understand people. But my psych book said something that was just really a revelation to me. It pointed out that there are four models of parenting, and I just want to briefly talk about them. Of course, you could come up with four completely different models of parenting using totally different words if you felt like it, but, but I'll just go with these. There are parents who are warm and permissive, warm and strict, cold and permissive, and cold and strict. And the book really kind of recommends just one, and I really liked the one that it recommended. So if you have a parent who is warm and permissive, well, that's your friendly parent who, when you break the rules, says, hey, that's okay, you broke the rules, you know, maybe I said I'd punish you, I'm not going to punish you, I think I'll take you for ice cream instead. Well, that's really not a good way to go. And then there is cold and permissive. Now, that's the parent who comes across as strict and stern and authoritarian. And by gosh, these are the rules and you're going to follow the rules. And I'm the parent and you're the kid. But then when push comes to shove, they always cave in and they always take the kid for ice cream. And nobody ever gets grounded or nobody ever has to really do their chores. Or if kids get themselves into all kinds of trouble, then the parents always bail them out, and there's never really any consequences. I'm not saying you shouldn't bail out a young kid, but I am saying that the book is basically saying, but then there should maybe be some consequences at home. So warm and permissive and cold and permissive are not good. And then there's cold and strict. And then that is the parent who is abrupt and clipped and doesn't really want to talk to the kids all that much. And they lay down the rules. They lay down the law. And then when you break the rules, they are very strict about it. They enforce the rules. They enforce the punishments. So cold and strict, which the book also did not recommend. What the book recommended was warm and strict. And warm and strict is the parent loves you. The parent has tons of concern for you. The parent is just doting on their kid, uh, probably takes the attitude with the baby that you can't spoil a baby. When the baby cries, you should probably always go to the baby and soothe the baby because they need that. And, you know, you should always, you know, pick up their kid, your kids when they scrape their knee. Uh, but at the same token, you are strict. You are going to hold them to standards. For example, grades might be important, even if the kid does not really like grades. If the kid takes on a responsibility, then they pretty much probably have to meet that responsibility or they need to ask for help. Um, if they go out for a sport, my parents did a pretty good job with this, I think, actually an excellent job. They would have us kids 
go try something out. You know, like if you wanted to go out for basketball or if you wanted to go out for the play or if you wanted to go out for choir or if you wanted to go out for a different sport or activity, they would say, you need to try this for two weeks. So you are going to go every day. You're going to be faithful at practices because you said you wanted to do this. So you're going to go every single day and you're going to work hard at practices. And then at the end of the two weeks, then you can decide, do I want to stay or do I want to resign? Um, they didn't say quit because you were giving it a two-week trial period. So the coach just wasn't trying you out. You were also trying out the coach, the team, and the situation. Well, at the end of the two weeks, you could make your decision, but you couldn't stay in and then quit after three weeks or four weeks or five weeks. You couldn't do that. At the end of the two weeks, that's what the cutoff was. So if you stayed, you were in it for the duration and you needed to give it your all, and you needed to work at it, and you needed to be a good team player and a participant. I think that was an absolutely brilliant way to go. And that's kind of an example of warm and strict. My parents tried to figure out the things that would appeal to us. My brother played a lot of sports because they appealed to him. And then once he was in it, he was in it to stay. Um, they had me try out for other activities. I was very, very shy. Uh, these activities helped me to not be so shy. And it was tremendous fun to be in plays and choirs. And I even did track and I did baseball at a certain point. These were fun. I would try these things out. And sometimes I'd be very successful. And other times I would just be not successful. I'd be third rate. But I would work hard and I enjoyed the company of the people that I was with. And I developed a good work ethic, at least I hope that I did. And so that's just kind of an example of warm and strict. And that's what I see with Jack and Maggie. I see their parents and Jack and Maggie themselves being warm and strict with themselves. When they make an error, they do their best to apologize and then fix it. And I just think that that's absolutely great. You know, finally, I think it really all just boils down to the idea of raising kids, or if you're a teacher, uh, teaching students with love and discipline. Love means doing what's in the best interest of the other person, not necessarily just what feels good. So in other words, you would give people healthy food to eat, not just candy. Um, so you love them because you're giving them good things and having them do good things. And then that morphs into also is hand-in-hand hand with discipline. And then discipline does not mean torture people. What it means is warm and strict. Hold people to a good standard. Uh, help them when they need it. Uh, if you give somebody a job that's too big for their age, well then, by goodness, be their helper and help them do it. But you definitely want them to do things. You want them to try things. You want them to experiment with different things, different sports, different plays, music, professional things like getting a job, um, creating a job, like babysitting and lawn mowing. So I, I just think that magical combination of love and discipline is probably what it takes. I'm not a parent, but I've been a teacher for 30 plus years, and that is what I've aimed for. Um, I make errors all the time. They always say things like you can err on the side of mercy or you can err on the side of justice. For me, the key word is error, that either way you are going to make errors and you're just in a constant process of trying to correct things. So I really can't speak to parenting. So I, I would love to, but I just 
posted this episode because I have such admiration for this family um, that has raised these two different kids, Jack and Maggie, who are absolutely and in so many ways totally opposite of each other. And yet they love and accept each other and they are good for each other and they are good for the whole family and they are good for the community and they do all kinds of service and acts of love for the community. And what a great family. That is the end of this episode. See you Tuesday.